Good morning, boys and girls, and all God's children. Those of you who used to come up to the front and sit on the steps for a children's message, and everyone younger than that should have picked up or received by now a bag like this, with Christmas presents in it, one of which was an Advent calendar that I trust you'll hang somewhere in your house and use to count down or up the days to Christmas and find activities to engage in to help you get ready for Jesus. But there are also five little bags inside this bigger bag, and those five are from me. One for each of the Sundays of Advent, and one for Christmas. Today, I want you to grab the one that says, Do not open until November 29. Today, the first Sunday of Advent. The Sunday we think about prophets and the promises of God that the prophets proclaimed. You heard one from Isaiah this morning who said God was going to give his people a sign, a baby named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The prophets for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years gave God's promises and God kept every one of them. So now I want you to open your bag and take out what's inside of it and take a look at this square that looks like a Rubik's Cube, but on each side of it is a picture reminding us of Christmas. The wise men, the shepherd, the stable in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and the baby, a camel, an angel, a star, and you can use this, well, for a long time, but at least up until Christmas, switching it around and finding, again, the right pieces for the right picture to remind you of some of the promises of God and to remember, most importantly, that every one of the promises God made, God kept. So use this as a fun toy, but also as a reminder that our God is faithful and will do what he promised. Next week, another bag, another reminder. Two scripture readings for the first Sunday of Advent, one from a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, another of the promises of God. Jeremiah 33, verses 12 through 18. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without men or animals, in all its towns there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills and of the Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, in villages around Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, he will do what is just and right in the land. 
In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. And now, while it's far from the Bethlehem birth story, we go to the Gospel of Luke and to the 21st chapter. At the 25th verse, the words of Jesus himself. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I'll be back. They, they used to say that to me. My parents did. I was the oldest of five children in our family, and that meant that all the stuff had to be tried out on me first. So I was the first to take care of the other four while they went away, saying as they left the house, we'll be back. But when they left saying, we'll be back, and I was in charge, I was scared the first several times, afraid, worried. I doubted that it would happen. Actually did. I, I don't even know why, but I doubted it. I thought to myself, what if they don't come back? What if they never intended to? What if they can't? What if this is their great escape? And it turned out that at the end of the evening of the first several times I took care of the kids, I sat on the couch in the living room and pulled the drapes apart and watched until I saw headlights I recognized. But as time went on, it wasn't so hard. I got used to it. I didn't worry so much anymore. I even 
began to enjoy it. And we could do things we wouldn't have dared to do if they hadn't gone away. The trouble is, every once in a while, without really meaning to, they came back while we were doing the things we wouldn't have done if they were back. And then we were in big trouble, and that was a time to dread. Their return was not something we welcomed, it was something we feared and dreaded. And once in a while, while they were gone, something happened, or threatened to happen, or we were afraid might happen, or a call came in, or something that to us meant they ought to be there. We needed them, we wanted them. We wanted them to come back now. And then it was a comfort to at least look back and say they always did it before. I think they will come back again. I'll be back. Sometimes I doubted it. Sometimes I dreaded it. And sometimes I desired it. I don't think there are any other possible reactions to the return of Jesus Christ than one of those three. Which one of them characterizes you? The message of the prophets whose candle we lit this morning was essentially the coming of the day of the Lord. The day when Jesus would fulfill the promise he made as an adult that he was going to leave, but he'd come back. There were those who didn't believe that. They doubted it sincerely. They didn't give it much thought. They didn't think they had to do anything about it to prepare. And there still are people like that. There were those who dreaded it and thought, if he means that he's coming back, and he does, I'm in trouble because I'm not going to be ready. I'm not even going to try. And there are still people like that. And there are people who desire with every fiber of their being that he come, and the sooner the better. Jesus, in Luke 21, is describing not only the time when he's coming back, but he's conflating together the account of the end of Jerusalem and the end of everything at the same time. Jerusalem was going to end 40 years or so after he left. And in fact, it ended in 70 AD with a siege that found some of the residents committing cannibalism before it was over. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said it was so awful. Now, he was known to a little exaggeration, but not too much. It was so awful, 1,100,000 people died. 97,000 people were taken into captivity. The city was sacked, and the temple, the center of everything for them, was burned. And Jesus' purpose in predicting Jerusalem's fall was to say to the people he was talking to, if you can imagine how awful that would be, how fearful that would be, how much you would dread that, well, that's 
just about nothing compared to the way you'd feel at the end of everything. Wow, what a way to begin Advent. Nobody knows, of course, the day he's going to return. But there are signs. He talked about it himself. The Bible refers to signs of the times. Oh, they're out there. You don't even have to look for them. They bump you in the nose. Holes in the ozone layers, pollution, climate change, uh, disaster, natural disasters, and other kinds of disasters, wars and rumors of wars, smog, and the perennial problem of what to do with apparently eternal radioactive waste. Wars and rumors of wars, and now in this current year, throw into the mix a planet-paralyzing pandemic. And if these aren't the signs, they must be the signs that the signs are about to come. I'll be back, he said. Do you doubt it? Do you dread it? Or do you desire it? What do we see this morning from this passage on this first Sunday in Advent? What we see in the midst of this picture, this frightening picture of the end of everything, is an Advent vision. Advent simply means coming. This is the second of those comings. A vision of the return of the Son of Man. But it proves at least to those who desire his coming, to be a vision not of disaster and destruction, but a vision of mercy. We are not victims of chance. We are not pawns of fate. We are children of the king, and he's coming back to take us home. You will see the Son of Man, he said. You know what that means? That means everything is moving In a direction, time is moving towards him. History is moving towards him. Every tick of every clock and every watch on the planet is moving towards that goal. We are moving towards that goal. We are moving towards that day, and that day will not be a day of defeat, but victory. A day when Jesus says you can stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when it seems like the sky is about to fall, or when it may actually be falling, when it seems that the very structure of the universe is starting to crumble and people are getting more and more afraid and worried, what do we do? Look up, and you will see the coming, not of judgment, but of mercy. A mercy that surprises those who doubted it and squashes those who dreaded it and saves those who desire it. And in the meantime, the words of Jesus himself, be careful, be always on the watch, and pray. 
There are two requirements for Christian living, faith and faithfulness. The conviction, the faith, that Jesus Christ is going to return, that he'll be back, that all of time points toward him and reaches out for him, and that he's coming back because the world and we belong to him. And such faith leads inevitably to faithfulness, to watchfulness, to eager anticipation, to prayerfulness, to living on our feet for him, to being prepared and continuing to prepare for his return. A commentator by the name of William Barclay put it this way, we must live forever in the shadow of eternity, in the certainty that we are people who are fitting or unfitting themselves to appear in the presence of God. There can be nothing so thrilling as the Christian life. And in this time now, between the comings, between the first and the second of those comings, we remember that it is the purpose of the first coming to help us be prepared for the second. And the purpose of the first was to show us a love, a divine love so big, so powerful, so overwhelming, so amazing, so divine, that it didn't even stop at humiliation and death to offer itself to us. That is what we look back at in faith, and that is why we can look forward in hope. You know that story. Walter Wangerin, a Christian writer, one of my favorites, tells the gospel story in words that I find unforgettable. I hope you do too. Because he tells it, and the main character is a spider. She has no stomach of her own, you see. She can digest nothing within her. Therefore, her prey must also be her stomach. Through tiny puncture wounds, she injects into a bounden fly digestive juices. Inside his body, his organs and nerves and tissues are broken down, dissolved, and turned to warm soup. This soup, she swills. But, and this but is no ordinary conjunction, it is graceful altogether. There is one species of spider, different from all the others. A man must also almost weep to see how she behaves. Sometimes food grows scarce, and no amount of netting can snare the fly that isn't there. Sometimes tiny famine descends upon the mother and her spiderlings, and then they starve, and then they may die if they do not eat. But then, privately, she performs the deed unique among the living. Into her own body, this spinster releases the juices that digest. Freely they run through her abdomen while she holds so still 
digesting not some other meat, but her own. Breaking down the parts of her that kept her once alive until her eyes are flat. She dies. She becomes the stomach for her children, and she herself the food. And Jesus said to those who stood around him, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is my own flesh. Take and eat. My Lord, my Lord, how can this be? All the world did shiver and teach me to despise the spider. Yet it was in her that I hear your voice. And so whatever the times, despite the signs, we can heed our Redeemer's advice. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Let's pray. Lord God, it's an amazing story. In some ways so familiar to us, this little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. So nice, so tender, so loving, so cute. But God, in hay, come to be with us, come to be one of us, so we could become one with him. In the true meaning of that first coming, help us to prepare now and always for whenever that second coming also happens. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper that we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted by God and never be forsaken by him. We come to have communion with this same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. In this cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine, in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of love of which she shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. 
when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like him in his glory. Let us pray. God, today we celebrate the light that came in great humility in Bethlehem long ago. We anticipate the coming day when that light will return in stunning, glorious majesty and all darkness will be banished forever. In this sacrament, remind us of your promise fulfilled and your promise for which we are still waiting fulfillment. May your glorious light dispel the darkness of our hearts and lives. Amen. In Psalm 34, verse 8, we read, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. So come to this table, come into the light, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been to this sacrament often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Come, step into the light of holiness. It is Christ, the light of the world, who invites us to meet him here. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Let us pray. Strengthen us, O God, in the power of your Spirit to bring good news to the poor and lift blind eyes to sight, to loose the chains that bind and claim your blessing for all people. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with you and all your people. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.